welcome to In Search of the Crystal Skull, the epic adventure through the cinematic jungle of mediocrity. My name is Aaron. My name is Patricia. And uh, Miss Patricia, uh, uh, the dude looks like a lady in this one. Yes, indeed. Um, I wonder if we'll have any luck with the lady tonight. Ah, well, I guess we'll have to see. So, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to introduce you to the world of Mrs. Doubtfire. So, Mrs. Doubtfire was a 1993 American comedy film directed by Christopher Columbus, and it was written by, uh, the screenplay was written by Randy Mayhem Singer and Leslie Dixon, and is based off of the book Alias Madame Doubtfire by Anne Fine, and it stars Robin Williams, Sally Field, Pierce Brosnan, Harvey Fierstein, and Robert Prosky. And uh, the movie came out on uh, November 24th of 1993, and it received... Uh, $441.3 million in the box office at, with a $25 million budget. Now, the movie, um, if you look at it on Rotten Tomatoes, it may be pretty surprising for some people. It's like, really? You're talking about Mrs. Doubtfire? But that's a classic, according to a lot of people. It's like, oh, this is a movie with Robin Williams, and he dresses up as a woman. And, you know, it's supposed to be a really funny movie when you watch it as a kid. But when then when you watch it as an adult, it's like, oh, man, this movie is about, like, these two having a divorce, and they're pretty miserable and all that kind of stuff. Well, believe it or not, according to Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 72% rating. And I'm just going to read off some of the critiques of this movie. Um, so, yeah, according to some people, when this movie came out, I mean, they thought it was really funny. I mean, especially since, you know, Robin Williams was at the peak of his career. You know, we already discussed... Uh, um, in depth about various stuff that Robin Williams has done, such as like the Lion, um, you know, Aladdin, and there was the Fisher King, and um, there was a whole bunch of other movies that he was doing. But, um, you know, I would say that there was some like, you know, decent reviews with it, but I'm just going to look up some critiques of it really quickly. Uh, Quickly, well, while you're doing it. that, uh, I'll also um, mention a couple of things as well, and that is, uh, this is actually 67th in the American Film Institute's 100 Laughs, uh, and is also 40th in uh, Bravo's 100 Funniest Movies of All Time. Now, some of you would say, well, surely that shouldn't mean that it's actually, given the fact that it's in the top 100, that it should not be a mediocre film and should not be in this series, but there are some things that are holding it back, and so I thought maybe we could do an episode, maybe you you'll agree with some of the things we have to say, maybe you'll disagree with some of the things that we have to say, but let's give it a whole look over and uh, a full body makeover, should we say, and uh, let's see what we come up with. Yeah, uh, so, um, yeah, I, I think I, I have one of the the, the uh, critics right here, uh, Robert Jure Ebert, I'm sure you guys already know who he is, um, but uh, for those who don't, Roger Ebert was a very famous critic uh, around the 70s throughout the 80s, and even all the way until um, his passing a few years ago, but, you know, he and Gene Siskel had a... Uh, arrangement of like TV shows and they did like newspaper articles and um, you know online stuff uh, in recent years but let me tell you about what you know he briefly said about Mrs. Doubtfire so um, any review of Mrs. Doubtfire must take into account Dustin Hoffman's transvestite comedy Tootsie which remains by far the better film it's more believable it's more intelligent and funnier Tootsie grew out of real wit and insight, while Mrs. Doubtfire has the values and depth of a sitcom. Hoffman was an actor when being able to play as a woman, while Williams 
seems to be more playing himself playing as a woman. So, but, yeah, but I think that there were some what, critiques here's the at thing the time. About, here's the thing about, and who, who, who am I to argue against the uh, the incredible Roger Eber? But the one thing I would say, like, you go to a Robin Williams film expecting to see Robin Williams. Like, you know, it's like, uh, it's one of the reasons why Aladdin was so great, you know, in a way that, uh, besides the fact that it was actually part of the Disney residence on Sarah. But, you know, Robin Williams made a lot of that movie, you know. And that so, is very true. True, yeah. but and, and you know, not to mention that you have to remember that he also did a lot of more um, dramatic films, like you know, Good Morning Vietnam was a bit of comedy, but at the same time, it was a bit dramatic. Um, so was the Fisher King, and also uh, Dead Poet Society. So I guess this is kind of like around the time in which he was definitely focusing a lot more on being comedic. Uh, you know, Aladdin, uh, and then a few years later, we had Jumanji and the Night of Museum trilogy, and you know, he got back to you know a bit of like drama again with some of his other films such as like goodwill hunting one hour photo where you get to see a more like scarier side of him because it was a horror movie where he was playing as a stalker who worked at a film um developing store so yeah i mean he is a very ranged actor but i think around the 90s a lot more people knew about him for his comedy Mm-hmm. But anyway, going into Mrs. Doubtfire itself, and uh, we'll take a, 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 a look at this. I mean, let's take a look at this at face. I mean, look look at the uh, the what's on the on the surface of this. So basically, it's about uh, a voice actor who is uh, you know obviously has uh, sticks to certain, certain principles and things, and also is quite fun loving as well. However, he kind of is very neglectful of the fact that you know his wife is very hardworking and uh, that she can't always be there, and uh, obviously they have this uh, massive party for their children along without her and she's obviously not very happy about that and so and then yeah. obviously she finds out the fact that uh, you know her husband constantly keeps you know, dropping work because of obviously his principles and things like that but and then eventually that's uh, basically they both come to blows and eventually that ends up with a divorce so I mean that's obviously the very beginning of it but then we enter into the divorce proceedings where now it turns out that uh, Robin Williams is obviously not going to get to see his kids as often as he would like to and also he's uh, quite worried about basically what they're getting up to so he comes up with this uh, a very elaborate scheme of uh, basically um, fooling the his wa- his ex-wife now uh, into believing that uh, there's all these really terrible like babysitters and sitters that uh, just aren't uh, capable of being being able of being up for the job and uh, constantly keeps calling up with these other voices that he does obviously you know doing his old voice actor spiel. Then he finally decides to call up and be and tries to fake, fake uh, in being like the real deal, uh, Mrs. Dalfire. Obviously then. Uh, he goes into this whole nice Scottish uh, lady accent, and uh, then it's um, then she ends up realizing that he's come up with this whole thing of making himself really pleasant and really nice sounding, but doesn't realize that he's not got a name for this character, <laughs> and then ends up obviously having to read out uh, a headline of, uh, of of a newspaper spitting out doubtfire as Mrs. Doubtfire. So, I guess one thing about, I mean, I guess when people talk about, like, the believability, like, uh, you know, can you really believe that a, um, somebody can dawn up, like, you know, a full bodysuit and also just basically put on, an, you know, a, a very, not a, I mean, obviously a very, not a somewhat realistic looking mask, you know, something that's, you know, uh, is not gonna, obviously it doesn't have much un- uncanny valley to it, and then be able to go into this household and be able to basically to fool everybody and so uh, i mean yeah the, uh, well what... here's the thing now and now if any of you guys have ever read the original book uh alias miss madame doubtfire uh according to the book i am not one of those people by she... the way i neither have i but um my buddy james uh sullivan 
uh, aka Hymitude, he does this series called From Pages to Pictures, actually did do a comparison between the book and the movie. And there are some similarities, but man, is it like the tone is way different. It's a lot more mean spirited and it's more geared for adults because it was an adult novel. It wasn't like geared with a mixture for kids and adults. So in the novel, from what I understand, the kids recognized that that was their father in the disguise the entire time. The only one who didn't know, I, I think even like Lydia, the youngest even figured it out. It was the mother who couldn't figure it out, even though that it was plainly obvious. But uh, basically, uh, they, I guess they decided to like make it a little bit more realistic where um, Daniel, uh, who's played by Robin Williams, he has a brother who is a makeup artist. And then they thought, oh, maybe we can have him as a character so that he can be able to transform a much more believable way. Like, you know, he's they're putting on the, the makeup, they're putting on the mask and all that kind of stuff. And then eventually they try different wigs and then he gets his outfit. And yeah, they, it, you know, I mean, pretty much throughout the beginning of the movie, they're completely full. They have no idea... Uh, Mrs. Dowfire is their father, or, you know, for Miranda's uh, sake, her ex-husband. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, the one thing that I really like about this is that it's just that Robin Williams makes this character. I mean, at one point in the movie, you actually do feel like there's a difference between Daniel and Mrs. Dowfire. Like, he just comes up with this, like, this whole other person. Like, uh, and uh, so you start to kind of like, uh, at one point, I kind of like, uh, this, you know, it's kind of like, it was in a way was also in taken by his, uh, his, 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 uh, his, his, um, in, you know, taking on this persona of Mrs. Doubtfire. So at one point I was like, oh, hey, you know, this feels like another character that Robin Williams is actually playing on the screen right now. And uh, so, you know, because obviously he, she talks, he talks about like, you know, how, uh, how Paul Winston got hit by a Guinness truck and like, you know, you're following along with the lines and things like that. And like how he ne she never loved again and stuff like that. And obviously she's just doing that because she wants to try and keep, uh, you know, her, her, you know, his, uh, his ex-wife away from uh, the uh, from, from trying to get to somebody else. But uh, in comes Piers Brosnan. Which, yeah, Pierce uh, Brosnan as Stu. And, you know, he's your typical British dashing guy who, you know, at one point he and Miranda were dating, but, you know, then he went away for a few years starting off his own business. And then he goes over to uh, Miranda's business where they're talking about, like, you know, decorating, um, you know, his new facility. And she gives him, like, you know, uh, tablecloths and napkins and all that kind of stuff. Well, he's more interested in asking her out on a date and reacquainting again. And um, then she's mentioning that, you know, she's in the middle of a divorce and, um, you know, he's very understanding. And then slowly as time goes on with the divorce being more finalized, that's when they started dating each other. And that's when Daniel decides that, you know, he's going to uh, not only use the persona of Mrs. Doubtfire from, uh, you know, so that he can be able to see his kids more often because he can only see them once a week, but also to prevent Miranda from dating Stu so that maybe they could, you know, have a second chance. By the way, um, just a uh, just a, sorry to segue into this, but is this the first ever movie we're doing which stars Mara Wilson that we're talking about? No. 
I I don't think so. I think Mara Wilson was also doing other stuff, but no, no, no. no. Um, I'm talking about you and I. Like, um, uh, you know, is this the first? Oh, is this, oh, is this the first Mara doing, Wilson? Yeah, right? you're yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, as of the recording of this podcast, we haven't even done the Matilda podcast yet for the Roll Doll retrospective. Yeah, so like, uh, hey, hey, Mara, well, welcome to the club. You know, you finally got it talking about <laughs> you. So uh, <laughs> there you go. That's so, right. Yeah. yeah, welcome to the club, indeed. Yeah. Uh, oh, um, I, I have to say that uh, you know. For this being one of her, you know, first acting roles. Um, I, I, oh, yeah, this was her. I, I'm trying to look this up. Uh, I have her uh, filmography here. Oh, yeah, that, this was the first movie that she was ever in. She was in TV uh, and in commercials. But, yeah, this was the first movie she was ever starring in of uh, where she played as uh, Natty. I mean, you and can, then, t- you and can then... tell at the very beginning that she had some kind of talent, you know. So, like, uh, you could tell that, uh, you, said, you know, there was something. Yeah, she was a sweet little girl, like, on the screen who was, like, mm-hmm. Was taken in by, uh, you know, um, obviously this whole Mrs. Doubtfire character. That is until actually she actually found out that it was actually him. But uh, you know, it was, and then she was like playing along with the uh, with the whole act and everything like that. And so that in itself was yeah, quite yeah. fun. She, she's supposed to be she's supposed to be playing as like the the sweet little innocent girl while um we have christopher and we have lydia who are teenagers so they're going through like major struggles like christopher is not doing very well with his grades and lydia is trying to keep the family together with the separation between her father and her mother there's actually a deleted scene if you actually own the movie on dvd where um she talks to her dad alone while they're going out on their weekend you know, their Saturday trip. And she's trying to tell him like, you know, um, you know, work harder to try to spend time with us and um, try to, um, uh, you know, see if you can maybe, you know, agree with mom and court or something. And he's saying that it's a little bit more complicated than she realizes. I believe that's in the book, but they cut it off from the final product of the movie. Again, if you want to see it in more detail, then you could, uh, if you have it on DVD, you could watch it on one of the deleted scenes. Is it just me also? Is that does Miranda in this movie come across as unreasonable? Like you know, like obviously her reaction to finding out that uh, you know, uh, you know, Daniel this entire time has been Mrs. Delphire. That that's reason. That, yeah, I think that's kind of like how I can really sympathize with her in like uh, her time that she felt like I don't know. Like, okay, well didn't... let's let's think about it. Like in the beginning of the movie, we see that Daniel is a struggling voice actor. In the book, he's a regular actor. I think he's a theater actor. But um, yeah, so we have him constantly yelling at his superior, saying, um, you know, oh, you can't do this to this character because uh, there's a cartoon that's being played where he has to do both of the voices of the cat and the bird where uh, the cat is shoving the bird a cigarette and he is smoking and Daniel saying like oh th- this is terrible you can't do that, that that's, that's horrible for kids mm-hmm. and then they were saying like you have to do what the cartoon shows if there is a, a scene in which a character is smoking and you have to look through the lip flaps then that's exactly what you have to say and they were like uh, it, I, I like the, the scene in which like it was kind of hypocritical where um, Daniel was asking about like you know smoking is bad for the youth of America and everybody is smoking in the background and so then he uh, pretty much quits and apparently like he has lost his job a lot of times so because he's losing his job Miranda's pretty much the breadwinner of the household and then we saw that Chris has not been doing well in school and so he's not allowed to have a birthday party until he gets his grades up and so Daniel goes behind her back where they invite all these kids and then 
they invite all these animals, which is pretty illegal, by the way. You cannot invite, you know, all these animals in like this secluded neighborhood, unless, of course, if you have a permit, which that's completely doubtful that he did. And so um, you have the scenes in which when you see the kids like acting up and the whole place is a mess. And then she's just like completely shocked about all of this. And so she yells at Daniel for not only causing the mess, but also like all these violations that the police is like writing her up on. And he's just, she's just really frustrated. The fact that not only can he not keep a job, but that she cannot rely on Daniel for being a responsible adult. Okay. Then maybe, maybe what she did was reasonable then. <laughs> okay. I, yeah, I will. I, I here's the thing it. that, um, I, you know, when you're a kid and you're watching this, it's like, Oh, but you know, they're having fun. It's a birthday party. And then, you know, then you, you realize what's behind. Yeah. And then you think that, Oh man, she's just being mean. She's a stick in the mud. But then when you watch more closer, it's like, yeah, you actually do kind of root for Miranda in this because, you know, her husband is, you know, being constantly out of work. I mean, they live in San Francisco, which means that they probably have one of the more expensive houses to live in. And the fact that she constantly works and her husband's struggling and her kids are struggling, it's like she pretty much like has been taking care of these kids in a way while the, you know, Daniel's kind of like an overgrown child. It's it's kind of, you know, funny when looking at the movie from two different perspectives. Yeah. Anyway, going back to uh, Piers Brosnan in this movie, and I don't know, because at the time when I saw, I mean, I think I was a bit late coming into Mrs. Doubtfire, to be honest with you, when I first like saw it for like the absolute first time, because when I saw Mrs. Doubtfire, I knew Piers Brosnan as James Bond. And so it was a bit jarring to kind of like watch, uh, you know, Piers Brosnan walk in as uh, Stu, you know, this uh, guy who's in this uh, this wacky movie. And, uh, you know, it just it's uh, I don't know whether it was uh, I don't know whether to think if it was brilliant casting or whether it was kind of like just distracting bad casting. Well, I mean, this you have to remember that this came out before he was in James Bond. So I, I think that uh, Piers Brosnan, uh, I think he did a pretty decent job. And, uh, you know, I'm the complete opposite of you, Aaron in which I have never seen a James Bond movie, but I grew up with this movie. This was actually one of my favorite movies as a kid. I would watch this movie so many times, it's it's not even funny. But yeah, I think that, um, you know, the, the casting for me wasn't that much of a big deal. But I mean, as for like when you know about him in like all the James Bond movies, then I can kind of see where you're coming from. Yeah, like all of a sudden, like, you know, it's like you're watching him like kick ass in Goldeneye. By the way, this was like uh, two years after Mrs. Doubtfire, by the way. So obviously it was, uh, I think it was on about like 96, 97, I think I saw Mrs. Doubtfire for the first time, I think. So like okay. it, was, it was a good couple of years afterwards. So we're like, uh, you know, knowing he was like, like, also Goldeneye is like one of my favorite James Bond movies of all time. Like, you know, I love Goldeneye. I love the Nintendo 64 game as well. But it's just, it's, a, it, it, it's a go from that to, you know, watching him kick ass in that movie. And then all of a sudden, he's kind of like, oh, hey, here he comes trying to take, uh, you know, Miranda away from, uh, you know, uh, Daniel in, in this movie. And then obviously, he's uh, obviously doing, putting his charms through. I mean, obviously, I get that it was a couple of years before, obviously, he became, he became Bond. But, uh, you know, it still feels... Uh, a little bit weird, you know, uh, watching him in this movie, and uh, and uh, okay, I tell you what, it feels absolutely abstract to know that he was in Mamma Mia like a couple of years after that yeah. as well. But you know, <laughs> like uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you know, Bill Brosnan, I still I'm a bit on. It still feels kind of weird to watch him in this movie, kind of like be you know um, Miranda's. Uh, I mean, you know, be Miranda's. Uh, you're trying to get in with Miranda, if you will. So like uh, yeah, and uh, so um, then you see that uh, he's obviously Robin Williams is opposite 
in every single way. Like, you know, he's got a really expensive car. He's uh, obviously got a really, you know, he's uh, far more better looking than, than Robin Williams, I will admit. And, uh, you know, he's obviously got, you know, he obviously seems to have a, a good, well-paying job as well. I can't remember exactly what his employment status was in Mrs. Delphi. What did he, what was, did he actually say what he worked as? Uh, they, they, did, they did in the beginning of the movie where I think that um, it was involving with like um, like some sort. I, I know that he was like you know starting his own like um, you know business because from you know because that that was part. Uh, I know he was restoring an old mansion. That's what it was. Oh. He bought a mansion and he was restoring it and he was hiring Miranda to help designing it because she's a designer and she okay. did like. Uh, you know, all these things. And so that's why um, you have, um, you know, them coming together in the movie uh, because he's this, you know, really uh, big entrepreneur who's like interested in like purchasing old mansions and refab uh, refurbishing them into like, you know, either fancy restaurants or hotels or something like that. So yeah, that's yeah. The- have you ever noticed every time Robin Williams is in a movie, there's always somebody trying to like re- do like some kind of like restoration or something like that. Like that was like uh, the uh, the woman that that uh, he fell in love with in uh, in Bicentennial Man. <laughs> She was like restoring like artifacts and things like that. So, yeah, I guess yeah, it, it is kind of interesting, isn't it? Hmm. <laughs> so, but well, yeah, I mean, uh, so continuing on, so uh, basically the um, you know going you know from uh, Pierce Brosnan's character. So uh, we have the other uh, characters. We have obviously Daniel's brother, uh, who's played by Harvey Fierstein, and. Um, I know a lot about Harvey Fierstein because, you know, he's been in very um, films such as uh, he was Yao in Mulan. Uh, in, in Broadway, he was Edna Turnblad in Hairspray and he was in Independence Day. So, yeah, he's been in a, a few movies. And, uh, you know, if, if any of you guys know about him personally, that, you know, he is very openly gay. So it's actually um, kind of interesting to see him playing as a makeup artist who is openly gay and he has a partner alongside with him who is trying to um, work with um, Daniel so that he can be able to look more like Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, it's, um, just talking about the soundtrack as well, like obviously it's probably not too, it's obviously not all that uh, outrageous now, but uh, obviously this uh, soundtrack had uh, Aerosmith, Frank Sinatra, House of Pain and James Brown all involved in it. Yeah, well, the reason why is because it was, <laughs> I know it sounds kind of weird, but when we were talking about Sonic the Hedgehog, you remember that each and every single one of them had the word either speed, fast, or Sonic. So each and every single one of these songs, even though that they're done by completely different artists, they all have something to do with either being a woman or ladies. So it has a continuous theme going on in this movie, which, um, you know, I actually remember the the songs in Mrs. Doubtfire even a little bit more than Sonic the Hedgehog, even though that they did have a consistent theme as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do you think of the um, the the soundtrack to, uh, to Mrs. Doubtfire? I mean, like it was uh, some of it was kind of like a generic, you know, like oh hey, it's all well in well not not all that well in suburbia, but you know, he obviously played up for the drama and things like that. But uh, there's not like uh, you know a bit of music that I would say like a theme to Mrs. Doubtfire that I would have like just said oh hey, I I know that from the Mrs. Doubtfire movie. You know? Yeah, that's true, and it's and it was done by Howard. Sure, who he would be doing the soundtrack for Lord of the Rings Hobbit later on, which, you know, those that, you know, that soundtrack is very well known for people even still to this day. But yeah, I think that the the, the, the instrumental songs in the background, they're not really that memorable compared to the songs that are played in the movie. 
Yeah. Um, so, I mean, just also focusing on, like, uh, I mean, I guess we could talk about the controversy, I think, probably this movie with what yes, we have now, because obviously it's, uh, it's, well, it's Robin Williams in drag. I mean, let's, let's, be, let's be honest about this. Obviously, it's, uh, it's him obviously pretending to be a woman. And so, I mean, I guess there will be some uh, parts of society that will probably take exceptions to that. But uh, obviously, I mean, like, it was a, I was one thing I'll say, it's a movie that was made in the 90s. I mean, like, uh, we're probably going to go through a lot of movies that have, like, themes that probably wouldn't be appropriate today you know yeah and and as mentioned before and i'm looking through more of the critiques of this movie that um you know they compare this movie to to some like it hot and tootsie tootsie was definitely a movie that they brought up a lot because they felt that tootsie was a better executed film and a lot of people felt that um you know even though that the movie was you know it was you know pretty sentimental and it was it had it had its messages clear that um you know they they felt that robin williams was the one that shined out the most like everything else paled in comparison to robin williams's performance yeah i guess one thing i guess one critique i guess we could also put on the movie is that i mean it is it is basically the robin williams show basically this movie like robin yeah, williams it, it, is the, it's is kind the of star like you know this. how when you know liar liar first came out in theaters pretty much everyone said that while the plot wasn't that deep Jim Carrey's performance was the one that pretty much stood out. He carried that whole movie. Yeah, I mean, like it's, it's surprising that you know Mara Wilson actually even you know was even even you know put, put up for like uh, any other considerations for any other movies because you know like you know here's Robin Williams front and center and you didn't really get spent all that much time with uh, the other characters you know unless you know Robin Williams was there. I mean, obviously you saw him in the montages where he's obviously trying to help you know where his uh, kids out with his schoolwork you know obviously reading to uh, to Mara Wilson on screen and uh, doing other things to, around the house which you know basically it was just it was just uh, playing up this gag of daniel basically dressing up as this uh, as this house nanny and uh, just uh, fooling fooling the majority of people anyway with what he was doing so i mean like it was uh, there was um, not much meat i think in regards to like uh, the the way the other characters are i think and uh, i think some people I mean, there like, could, yeah, could be I arguments mean, like, to be made that uh, you know right I mean, like, like you know, it's, it's kind of. I mean, I won't say it's as bad as Mister. I won't say it's as bad as Mister. Nanny, where you know, basically it was basically Hulk Hogan who basically was sticking out like a sore thumb in that entire movie with some like Home Alone and like some obviously some elements of Mrs. Doubtfire kind of stuck into that movie, I guess you could say. But uh, I mean, like, uh, I mean, it's not as bad as that, but uh, it is. I mean, the, it kind of shrinks the world a little bit, where it's kind of like, oh, hey, it's just it's. Uh, it's uh, whatever. It kind of like it's kind of like the uh, the the whole movie seems to kind of like orbit around uh, Robin Williams, and it's basically it's whatever you know asteroid or moon or whatever kind of like floats around into uh, into his orbit. I think you could say is that uh, it's the only time where you can honestly say that you know here here's the uh, the side characters of that. I mean, like I mean, if you look at uh, I mean, what other things were big, big at that time? Like the Fresh Prince of Bel Air was a pretty big thing, I think, at that time, wasn't it? Like you know, it was. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, much. the whole thing wasn't just about Will Smith. I mean, obviously, you have James. Avery is Uncle Phil. He had, uh, you know, he had obviously had uh, Alfonso as uh, as Colton Bank as uh, Colton, and you had uh, various other people there as well who had their own. I mean, obviously, it's different because it's a series, so you have a, a whole yeah, a bunch series. of episodes to kind of like build characters. Obviously, that Mrs. Doubtfire obviously doesn't have that luxury, but I mean, you could obviously say in you know, like a couple of episodes. I guess you could say in like maybe three episodes, which would be enough for a movie of the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. You could identify everybody in that, including Jazz. 
in The Fresh Prince yeah. of Bel-Air, but in Missing Mrs. Doubtfire, the one person you walk away from, if it's not Pierce Brosnan being kind of like this... Uh, this character that kind of really stands out in my eyes in some way, in a kind of distracting way. Obviously, the one character you're going to take away from is Daniel, who's played by Robin Williams, who plays this wacky character, Mr. Doubtfire. Um, and it's kind of funny because, you know, Sally Field is also in this movie. And if you remember, a few years prior, she won many Golden Globes, um, various awards for her performance. And, uh, you know, she was the you know famous one where she said, you know, you like me, you really like me. But, um, yeah, I mean... You know, her performance as Miranda is also very well done. I mean, I guess you could say that both of them do a pretty well job, uh, you know, good job. But um, and also uh, another, uh, you know, Pierce Brosnan also does a pretty good job as well, even though that I'm sure that, you know, he I, w- I would have wished personally if, that if he gotten a little bit more development and maybe how the kids would have reacted to him. It kind of feels like, you know, my kind of complaint with Officer Bronco from Onward. It's like, you know, the kids seem to like him just fine, but I wish that there would have been a little bit more conflict. Maybe because they knew that Mrs. Doubtfire was their dad. But then that brings up even more questions like, you know, maybe they could have brought more about it. But... Yeah, I'm just looking at all the movies that uh, 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 Sally Field actually went on to go on to do after Mrs. Doubtfire, and obviously, obviously, she was in Forrest Gump, and uh, she was. Yeah, she was in Forrest Gump. I mean, she she had had a she had a she had a part in uh, King of the Hill at one point, and uh, then she was in she was in Little Mermaid's Ariel's Beginning. Uh, well, and not to mention that she was also in the Amazing Spider-Man movies, where she played as Aunt May. That's a pretty big role. Yeah, that is a huge role. And also she was Mary Todd Lincoln in Lincoln, which was, you know, a Steven Spielberg production, but, you know, that's not, that's to be expected. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, she's done just as much in television, movies, and in theater. So yeah, she's still like really prominent. Mm -hmm. And uh, right now she's just doing TV. So uh, she's um, obviously doing uh, uh, dispatches from elsewhere. Uh, yeah, so. there you go. So, so she's still doing really well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I mean, there are a few characters that kind of like come and go pretty quickly, like Mrs. Selner, who is, um, you know, Daniel's, um, you know, kind of, um, well, what was she like? She was kind of like, uh, you know, always there to like inspect his house to make sure that everything was like neat and ready Uh, she basically helped him uh no she was his uh, court liaison that's what it was so she was his court liaison and um daniel was given two things to do by the judge he needed to find a job and he needed to get an apartment within three months and mrs selner was going to his apartment every monday and Friday evenings to inspect everything to see if it looked, you know, appropriate for the children and to see if he was on the right track to um, abiding for what the judge said. And, you know, she's there in the beginning and the movie, but then she kind of just leaves, like, when she goes over to the house to inspect it and then Mrs. Dowfire is there because that was when he was doing his first night as Mrs. Dowfire. And then she never shows up in the movie again. Yeah, it's kind of like it's... Uh, I mean, I guess there was no more reason to kind of, like, have her in other scenes. I guess because, I mean, like... Uh, um, I mean, the only way that uh, this whole thing was going to, uh, you know, kind of fall apart... I mean, if this whole thing kind of fell apart, it wouldn't fall apart in front of her. It would fall apart in front of, the you know, the judge. And the, obviously, it did fall apart in the... Uh, in the, with the uh, the judge in the in the final third of the uh, of the movie, but uh, so I don't think there was much reason to kind of like have her there except just to kind of like remind us that uh, you know obviously this is a thing, but I didn't think it needs to be a constant reminder. I don't think. 
So there's, yeah, a, there's, 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 there's yeah, more. Exactly. There's, there's other movie. This is the critique I have of this movie. I mean, this movie's already too small enough to begin with. I mean, like, a reoccurring characters, I think, is just going to be a problem, I think, in all of this. I guess so. So in the third act, we're introduced to, Rob, um, you know, Jonathan Lundy, who is, like, the main guy behind the TV studio that Daniel works at. Um, so, you know, his job is to pack and ship the film so that it could be distributed to the other television studios. And, you know, Jonathan Lundy is just there and there is this kid's show that's being played in the background, which is like very dull and boring. It's like if Mr. Rogers was taking away all of his charm and just stayed out the most generic facts about dinosaurs. And so... Uh, he meets up, uh, Daniel meets up with uh, Mr. Lundy and discussing about like he can do a better job. And so he becomes a much more prominent character in the third act because, you know, Daniel is playing around with the dinosaurs and Mr. Lundy is very, very impressed with his performance. And so he decides to invite him over for a meeting at Lundy's restaurant which happens to go at the same day of Miranda's birthday where she's inviting Stu and the kids over and she wants to come in. She wants to invite her. Uh, she wants to invite Daniel as Mrs. Doubtfire. So basically you have that scene in which that Daniel has to switch between himself and Mrs. Doubtfire and have to like play things off, which, you know, it does get pretty stressful at times, but it does get pretty hilarious at some points. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I think uh, I mean g- going towards the end of the movie. Obviously, it was uh, it's, it's kind of nice. To, I mean, how do you feel about the fact that uh, it all kind of came uh, all kind of came together full circle in some way? Like it was like you know uh, Robin Williams finally got his big break as uh, being Mrs. Doubtfire on TV, and uh, then all of a sudden it was kind of like oh hey well uh, you know uh, all that legal stuff you know we're taking care of that now, and uh, you know where uh, you know Daniel's not going to get to see his kids every weekend. Pretty much. Yeah, so. yeah. And it started off pretty rough, too. Uh, again, we're like, going into another deleted scene from the movie, which plays off in the book. So after, um, you know, Daniel is revealed as Mrs. Doubtfire, they go over to the house and they just argue. They fight with each other. And it is very brutal. And then, um, you, you know, you have Lydia out there, uh, you know, hearing the whole conversation alongside with Chris and... Uh, um, Matt and Natty, and then she yells at them, "I hate you both!" And then they just hear the conversation and they realize how miserable that their arguments have affected the kids. So after that, then we go over to the scene in which, when um, you know, Daniel has to uh, no longer be as Mrs. Doubtfire, and the judge basically says, "You have a problem. Uh, I'm going to give you supervised visits." for your children and um, going to have you go through therapy and all that stuff because you are doing very harmful things by dressing up as a woman just so you can see your kid. And so then we go over to uh, Miranda trying to get another babysitter for the kids and none of them meet the standards of Mrs. Doubtfire. And then then we get into the scene in which when you know Daniel gets that big break where she decides to use the persona of Mrs. Doubtfire as a kids show host so that's when daniel gets his big break and then he and miranda come to an agreement about that daniel can see his kids more often yeah do you think it was kind of rushed towards going to the end i mean like uh do you think that's uh i mean there was was a lot more details in the book like you know there was a lot more gatherings with the children and 
you know, the, the fight scene actually, la- you know, the one that was cut from the movie and the book, it lasts for a long time. You, you were talking about like six pages worth of arguing and bickering. And yeah, but you know, uh, like, I think he's expected that the book's going to have far, far, far more detail than the movie. I mean, like, uh, that was the argument put towards the Lord of the Rings. That's the argument that was put towards Watchmen, basically. Like, you know, it's just, it's, uh, it's just going to be expected that uh, the, the reading material is going to give us far more than what, uh, you know, the, uh, the screen can ever give us, basically. That's very true. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so I, I think that's so, a common argument, I think, for most movies that are based on books. Yeah. Very fair. So, yeah, I mean, there are some scenes that, yeah, you're absolutely. I've seen where, um, you, you know, Daniel and uh, Miranda go back home after Daniel was discovered as Mrs. Dalfour. I felt like they should have kept that. I know that the court scene was also very um, strong, but I felt that, you know, the, the, the drama and the buildup should have been built up a little bit better. And uh, yeah, there, there are some scenes that are kind of rushed, like, you know, the transition from, you know, Mrs. Dalfour uh, having her own TV show just from that one meeting with Mr. Lundy. I felt that, you know, maybe Mr. Lundy could have, like, played a bit of a role in there. Like, maybe he would have saw what happened in the background. It's like, maybe, you know, he would have thought that, oh, maybe, you know, you know, this guy is having problems with his family. Like, maybe I should have, like, another meeting to talk about all this. It's like, you know, th- th- I felt that there should have been, like, another scene there. Yeah. But keep in mind, like, I mean, how long did the movie go on for? Like, it was, uh, it was a good, it was, it was a, it was a, it was a, quite a long movie i think for what for the uh for what we got i think yeah you know, uh, yeah that is true i mean it's 120 minutes but yeah exactly um, so i mean like yeah, you know, for, I, your, for I, your for your for your fun kind of like you know comedic oh uh, hey here's a guy dressing up as an old woman like a movie i think i think it went on for long enough i, I guess that's true um but maybe they're actually no, um, actually no actually hang on a second it actually went on longer, longer than that actually i've got two hours and six minutes so, oh really huh. yeah so it went on for a long time <laughs> 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 okay so uh, yeah so uh, it was a it was a two-hour movie and so i think it was um, it, it was enough to kind of hold everyone's attention so uh yeah um so i think in the long run i mean like uh, i mean uh, do we argue that it's a bit unfair to call this movie mediocre i guess i mean like uh, do. <laughs> of course not why would i uh, no. i mean there's some flaws in it sure but no it's not a mediocre movie by any standards this is definitely one of robin best films that and there done. was arguments for years about a sequel as well like you know yeah, like, there uh, yeah. was do you remember a few years ago that they were planning on that mrs dalfire stage play and in addition to that they were going to do that robin williams sequel would have taken place many years later with the kids grown up but then when robin williams took his life away that project got canceled yeah and so you know, sadly after robin williams i mean also some of that as well robin williams at that time wasn't in good health so like uh, maybe maybe that in itself was probably not going to be great either. I don't think. So yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think it's going to be one of those what ifs. I mean, what if there was a Mrs. Doubtfire sequel? And mind you, you know, in Hollywood, and there's there's um, no obviously there's nothing there's nothing stopping them from uh, re- from rebooting the movie. Unfortunately, so uh, and uh, you I know, mean, like that's very true. I mean, yeah, but I think that. Yeah, if they do reboot the movie, I think that it's probably not going to be as beloved as the original. Well, Unless, of course, if they knows, wanted to like you know, stick uh, closer it's to been, the it's, it's been, oh, it's nearly been, it's been a good couple of years now since, uh, you know. It, it, yeah, yeah, it is true. It's been over 25 years. 
Exactly. So, I mean, like, uh, they could probably get away with basically making... I mean, it probably will end up being terrible, knowing knowing what Hollywood probably do to it. But, uh, I mean, like, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's just going to go through, like, the uh, the modern tropes. And then I think after that, I think people are just going to complain about it and then it'll just go away. Yeah. Right. Now, now, if they want to do it that was more closer to the book, then maybe. But, um, yeah, it's going to be a bit hard to reboot it. It's like, oh, uh, you know, remember when Tom and Jerry, you know, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory was released one year after um, Gene Wilder's death. And they thought it was like a shameful, disgusting movie to release after his death. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, I have a really strong feeling that for some fans who are uh, saying, oh, um, you know, you're releasing a reboot of Mrs. Doubtfire, knowing that, you know, Robin Williams took himself away. I have a really strong feeling that maybe that would be the case for some people. Yeah. Anyway, we've got to give scores. So, uh, I mean, okay. I guess with uh, Mrs. Darfai, I mean, i got to be honest with you. I was really entertained by Mrs. Darfai. Yes, there were some distractions in it and everything like that, but i got to be honest with you. I would actually give it an 8. Me it too. I would give it an 8 out of 10 as well. It's really funny. Very uh, The actors are really good. And also... It has a very compelling lesson about divorce. If kids are watching this, then they would learn a valuable lesson that, uh, you know, just because the parents get divorced doesn't mean that they don't love you. They just feel that, um, you know, being separated helps them and they can become better parents. And um, I think that that's a great lesson for kids. I mean, you know, it's a lesson that doesn't get taught enough in kids shows. Mm -hmm. And yes, there are a few flaws in the movie, like, I mean, the the one takeaway that you're going to get is that you're going to remember Robin Williams's performance the most out of anybody. And also, you know, there could have been a few scenes that would have been flushed out a little bit more. Uh, but, I mean, like, you know, other than that, this movie is really good. And if you haven't seen it yet, then go check it out. It doesn't deserve to be ranked among the mediocre movies on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, I can understand critiques back in 1993, but nowadays, I think it's been re-evaluated and vindicated as a Robin Williams classic. Mm -hmm. And so, we end another adventure in In Search of the Crystal Skull. So, my name is Aaron. My name is Patricia. Take care, and bye-bye for now. See you later. <laughs>